following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. I want, I want him to watch so he can experience the harm that he's caused other people. Come down. Have some chicken. I like that. So, uh, Texas State Law. If you do come to render aid, if you look, there's a, it's called a House Bill 4, four um, which states that a person who in good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully, quote, willfully or wantonly negligent. Okay, which obviously is a vague statement how to define that, but technically the state, Texas state law is if you do come to render aid as a non-professional, meaning it's doctor is an exception to this, a physician or maybe other professions, but if you do come to render aid as a non-professional, you are protected from any any civil damages. So let me get this straight. If you're any a doctor liability. and you can help somebody, you shouldn't because you have liability. So if you're a doctor, but if you're, then... But if you're a novice, no. you should help. There is, it's a doctor different. has more liability. A doctor has more liability. No. House Bill 4. They don't, have any, they don't have any affirmative obligation. House Bill 4 said that an emergency room physician is not, not liable. In, in an emergency room, uh, an emergency room physician is not liable for malpractice that the only way he is liable for malpractice <coughs> is if his conduct is willful and wanton. So basically, if he takes a scalpel and slashes the guy's throat, he may be, he may be responsible, but he was, his damages where, would be where capped. Where those cases have really, yeah, I've seen them. Not actual damages. Actual damages. Actual damages. Actual damages. The doctor has a drug or alcohol problem. They're under management. They've had a couple of drinks. They get called in and they're in a fuzzy area and that can take it into a different area that can take it to an area but as you're saying you know if they just misperform or you know more commonly if you're on the roadside and you go administer cpr and you screw it up you don't do it right as i understand it now you're immune i think you're completely immune I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're completely in. It's a summary judgment case. Yeah. Unless you're a doctor. No. No, if you're, no, if you're a doctor volunteering at the side of the road, I think you're going to have to really have some unusual factor to bring you into the scope of liability. There's, there's a lot of different doctors out there. And they don't all specialize, most of them don't specialize in right. emergency or emergency trauma. And, and, and they kind of trauma right. in there. So I've seen it exactly you have right. a, a dentist, you have a mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ophthalmologist, you have all kinds of cardiology, whatever. Maybe they learned it 30 years earlier in medical school. But. Well, technically, if you're a lawyer, you're an expert at everything, so therefore you should have a liability. Neurosurgeons. Well, our state Supreme Court has been quite bold in the area of legal malpractice. It's the one area of tort law where they've shown some willingness to extend liability. I mean, it's true. It's true. Mm. Okay, so that's the real Okay, so now, um, do, do you have any examples of willful or wanton negligence in this? Yeah, if if Nixon was you know a side of road change in his tire, he would stop to help yeah. and accidentally run him over. Okay. Yeah, I mean you have to intend. It's basically intentional. You have a sight on that case. You come across. You come across, you come across your ex-wife. You know, and you. I gotta look fine, my ex-wife. You know, leave that one alone. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the uh, to the Jewish perspective now, because it's. Uh, you tell us the Jewish perspective. Western, well, yes. I'm getting out of hand. Okay. So, um, so the, the, it's not me, David. This it's not me. This time. invited me on this case. Uh, hmm. um, okay. So now, so as far as as we're saying, 
from the Torah perspective, as we can see, is very different in, in many different senses. First of all, in the sense as of the obligation to render aid, and that in itself is a, is a biblical obligation, it's a biblical imperative, and uh, straight from the Torah, very explicit in the Torah, talking about the Old Testament here, um, the Torah says very clearly, two, two verses actually, two verses that are discussed, verse number one here is from Vayikra, from Leviticus, where it says, um, you shall not stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. Okay, it's missing an S there. So, um, so very clear statement the Torah is saying that he, as an individual, not as a professional, if like your case, you're in a swimming pool, you're at the beach, you see someone drowning, okay, you're obligated to, to, obligated to go and render aid. If you don't, you violated this, this prohibition, this um, <coughs> negative prohibition, which is do not stand idly by. Okay, and as we'll see, this is not only applicable even to life-saving cases, um, for any health matters, as we'll talk about, it's actually, some people want to use this source as, um, as a, and I don't want to get political today, um, after the debates, but some people use this as a source that say that we might have to help people who don't have health insurance, because it says you can't stand idly by uh, when someone's life is in danger. So in the case where we don't someone have to help needs... Obama is. Okay, that's the question is who, who, who pays just, for it. We're just paying them. The question is who pays for it, right. So we'll, talk, we'll get to the paying part. So this might even be used as a source for that. Besides that, um, others, um, other early authorities understand this verse not only to refer to um, little cases of life-saving, but even monetary cases. That means if you can save someone's money, someone's house is on fire, you're next to and you can uh, save, save, their, save them from monetary loss, might be obligated to do that too. So, so as we'll see, that's a lot of applications. So that's, but that's source number one, very clearly, explicitly in the Torah, that there is a duty to rescue, as we're saying, very different than Western law, than surely the Texas state law, than any, as far as I know, in all states in our lovely country. Um, is this, the law is the same, that you have no duty to rescue. It's like we're saying, you're driving down, you know, past the bayou, you see a car go right in, you're late for your meeting, you can just wave to the guy, smile, and continue on to work. And you did nothing wrong. Um, and you might be you might be an idiot, but you're not illegally. You did nothing wrong. Just don't take it. Don't sit up there and write a book about it. As you far as uh, as far as American law is concerned, as far as the Torah is concerned, you violated this law. Secondly, interestingly enough, the, the Talmud brings a second verse, um, which states um, not as explicit. This is somewhat taken out of context. The verse here is referring to returning returning of the lost object. I think we discussed it here in the past. There's a biblical obligation if you find something um, to find its rightful owner. Okay, depending on the scenario, we're not going to get into all the intricate laws, but the, the, what the Talmud says is surely if the Torah obligates you to return someone's physical lost object, their wallet, so surely if there's the loss of life, if you can help return their life to them, you have to do Okay, so the Talmud brings these two verses, and the Talmud even asks, why do we need both verses? What's the point of having two verses? As we know, the Torah doesn't mince words. So if the Torah has two obligations for the same thing, why do we need both sources? So one of the things that, um, that the, the, the Gemara says is, even if it needs, if you see quote number one, it says, how do we know that one sees his neighbor drowning or being attacked by a wild animal, being robbed, that one must save his neighbor, must do everything you can to rescue? It says from the verse, you shall not stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. And it says even, we, the reason why there's two verses, the Talmud says, is even if he needs to hire someone, that means, um, that means let's say you can't uh, save them for whatever reason, but you can pay, you can hire someone to save, save them. So it's, the Talmud implies that you're obligated to do that. It means to take money out of your own pocket 
and and spend your money in order to save that person. Okay, so it's not only the duty to rescue, it's a duty also, um, not only on your person, but also on your purse, so to speak. Okay, so you're obligated to spend money on that, on that too, to rescue someone else, yeah. What is the scope of rescuing someone else? In theory, you could give money to a charity saying, every thousand bucks I give, I save a child in this country. In theory, you're saving a life. So is that covered in the scope of this, or is there? Well, uh, that's that's laws of charity. That's really not this. What we're saying here, but here this the is duty is to too. rescue. It's true. Well, I'll that's explain in a second. The duty is to rescue bodily, to use yourself to rescue. Now, if you can't do it, so now you're you have the ability to hire someone else to do it, then you could do that. But it's not charity is different. Charity here we're talking about. Um, actually, if he says. This is Someone redistribution says, of rescuability, where the other one is redistribution of wealth or charity. You have to know about the person or the Right, exactly. Meaning it, it's a situation where you come upon, you're driving down the street, it's a car accident, and you can do something to save someone's life. As opposed to charity, which doesn't mean you're watching late night TV, you see a commercial for people in Rwanda, that's, you have no obligation. Listen, it's a beautiful thing. That's stuck. That's charity. You don't have an obligation to that? Obligation to rescue. It's different. To rescue. But what if you know somebody who's you know dying yeah, of disease? One is you see the you see you come upon a scene where right. someone is laying there needs needs life saving yeah. measures. So you either bodily you help, you do it yourself or you can hire someone. What about so if you need medical attention? You, you can't pay for it. But if you just see a commercial, no, it's seeing it. It's seeing the scene. You see that you see the victim. You need to, and you can rescue him right there. And there. So anyway, there was also a provision of Torah which says that first you save yourself. So if you're in the situation where you need to, you know, the classic being the boat and you get dumped over and you're supposed to swim and put yourself in the boat and then help, so does the precedence for self-preservation override this? Very good question. question. So, so it's a very question. That's why they say put your mask on right. first I'll before helping other people. I'll about the airline. Yes, it's a great question. And the truth is that the law is that you're not obligated to risk your own life to rescue someone else. Uh-huh. As they say that very clearly. As a matter of fact, it says someone who does risks their life in a serious meaning if a known risk doesn't mean you know you can't say I don't want to drive somewhere because it's dangerous driving on the 610 it has to be a, a real risk so in a case where, where there's a true risk to your life it says someone who does who, let's say risks their own life let's say for example this, uh, this would be relevant for a nice Jewish boy to be t- secret service take you know take his put, take the bullet for the president right so this is actually not a good job for a Jewish boy because super what we're saying is you, you're not allowed to risk your own life to save someone else's life. As a matter of fact, it says if someone does that, they're what's called the, the Talmud calls them the Chassid Shota, pious fool. Okay? So, so let me just finish, let me just explain. Hey, let him, let him sign it and pass that this way, then he has a place to eat. Okay, so, so you're, if you do save someone, I'll give you some more room here. If you do save someone at the risk, at risk to your own life, you're called a pious fool. Um, because I've you're not worse. supposed to do that. Okay. You're not that's no big to, deal. You're not supposed to uh, risk your life. So that's, that's so, a very good point. So meaning, so if you don't know how to swim and someone's drowning, don't jump in. Okay? Don't jump in because there's a, there's a risk to your own life in that situation. Okay? But the classic situation, at least that I've read about theologically, is say the parents were in a Holocaust scenario, whatever the horrible circumstance was, and it was them or their child and they felt they had to do whatever to try to preserve the life of their child. Is there an exception for that, or does it fall so, the general so rule? So child, or, or even your wife, your spouse, not just wife, it goes both ways. We look at that as one, you're all one unit, so to speak. Life. It says, each took a goof for your wife and yourself, you're one, you're one person. 
So to save your wife, you can risk your own life. But to your mother-in-law,
get you don't get paid back. And isn't this sort of, sort of a corollary of the same idea, but in terms of congregational practices, you don't turn any away. Say there's somebody who's done well, but all of a sudden they have a disaster, they're wiped out. They're not turned away from the congregation at that point. Yeah, there's nothing to right. do with this. But it's, it's, not not related, it's not related. No, it's not related. It's not the same oh, sort of argument. I don't want to get on the tangent. Yeah. No, totally that's sure. They'll turn you away if you can't pay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you got to really make some idea of how insurance works. I can tell you that for sure. It's really. Oh, we need to talk, by the way. Can't wait to school. Yes. So can you're I, Duff? Can I? Can I, I stays, everybody stays in this room. Let the man ask a question. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm still. I'm still struggling with the whole idea of uh, somebody who risks their own life to save somebody else being a pious fool. I mean, um, if if you've ever gone to Yad Vashem. You know, mm -hmm. in the forest of the righteous, you have the righteous all these people who, who uh, you know, did very heroic acts uh, right, and, so. and suffered greatly for it. And yeah. I mean, these are heroes. You're right. And so, and so I, and, and it, it, my own study of the whole Holocaust is to save one person would take dozens of people. It wasn't just a single person could save one person. It would take a whole network of people. And every one of the people in that chain were, were risking their lives uh, to save anybody. Right. And so, so, okay, so uh, let the me, idea, let me the idea that they're a pious fool is, is, is troubling to me. Okay, so let me elaborate. It's a valid point. First of all, once in the, off the bat, it's important to understand that during wartime, war has different rules. Um, war, obviously in war you're always risking life. Any soldier you say you could never go to war according to the Torah because you're risking your life to save someone else's life, right? So obviously war has, is, is different during wartime. That's one aspect. But the aspect and the, and the aspect of what we, what Western society, um, our society calls a hero, you're right, it does not fit with the Torah's idea of a hero, meaning in the sense of if someone, like we are saying before, someone um, takes the bullet for the president, Depending on who the president is, but some say some might say he's a fool. Some say some might say right he's a hero. Meaning, what the Torah is saying is correct. It is troubling, based on the way we always see things in our society, which is someone jumps on the grenade and saves his platoon. He's the hero. What the Torah is saying is you have no right to forfeit your life for someone else's life. This is a major principle. I'll explain the rationale. But, um, the the principle is that we and I, we might have discussed this here in the past that. We, we have no right to judge whose life is more important, even numbers-wise, even you know, surely not qualitatively, and, and, and even quantitatively. That means even what we're going to say, well, this guy's a drug dealer, and we can give up his life to save everyone else. We have no right to make that judgment call, is what the Torah says. We can't judge whose blood is better than, you know, whose blood is, is more important than the other one person's blood. Therefore, you as an individual can't make that judgment call either. If I jump on the grenade to save my, my colleague, Okay, so what I'm, I'm saying is my life is less important than his. And your life doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And therefore we have no right to make the judgment, is really what the, what the Torah is doing. And it is, it doesn't, clearly does not fit with the concept of, you know, every movie we watch of what a hero is, you know, a guy who takes it for the president and takes it, you know, that it doesn't fit with that, you're 100% right. So coming from that perspective, it clearly is, is very different. Um, but, but in any case, in your, the question of the Holocaust, war has different rules in any case. I'm not sure it was a satisfactory answer, but that's as good as I got. So all those people who's, who have trees dedicated to them. Just because we give them a tree are, doesn't are, mean are they're you, not a pious are, fool. Are you saying those are pious fools? No, so again, during wartime, 
War is different. Are you a pious fool if you do it and succeed and live, or are you only a pious fool if you die? Because <laughs> if you jump out a grenade and you're dead, yeah, you, so you're a pious way, fool. But, I, but, if, you, but if, if the fact is you take yeah. a risk, yeah. and you, 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 they took a risk to hide the Jews. They took a risk to hide the They took a risk. If you know, sure, you're putting yourself in a situation where there's a clear risk to your life. That's what we're saying. That is, again, in Western society, yes, you're a hero. In, in the Torah saying, you have no right to judge. So all those people that hit Jews were considered... At the expense, you just save someone else's life at the expense of your life. Very good point, by the way. Very good point. There's relative risk. Like, if, you, yes, if you're so taking a moderate risk to help someone out of a risk, that's much more than Yes, we're talking about that. Right, so, it, so there's a lot of great... Yeah, the, people that hit, the people that hit the Jews were taking major risk because they would get right, sent get to the killed. camps and killed if they got caught. But according right. to the Bible, the they are... that they would get yeah, caught. No, but that isn't really Torah. My understanding mm-hmm. is... As you alluded to that in times of conflict, war. Yes, the war, are completely war is different. different. The but, but, but the principle different. is he's still trouble with the principle, which is a valid point. Right. So I'm saying is yes, that principle, of non-times of war, stands. I mean, uh, in either case, because uh, God commanded. Meaning, because it's a verse in the Torah. Let me tell you the verse. I didn't mention the verse. The verse is, it says, and you mentioned before, we it says. Um, when it's talking about the laws of charity, actually, it says you have to. You have to help your brother. Your brother, your impoverished brother, shall live with you, is what the Torah says. The way the Bible puts it. So the the Talmud understands from that meaning with you. That means if you're going to die by helping him, so then you're not obligated to help him. Not only that, you shouldn't help because if you're going to risk your own life, then he's not. You're not help. He's not living with you. You're going to. He's going to live, but you're going to die. And that's what we're saying is that's not right. You have no. Your life takes precedence over your. Fellow man's life, and you're the, not obligated to the, the, to do a commandment to risk your life. I mean, straight straight from Jesus. Uh, yeah. Uh, greater love has no man than that he lays down his life for his friends. And and so from that, and, Torah, and, and, and the, the Old from, Testament. That's and from true. that perspective, that's that's something you're you're you know you're a superhero if you do that. Uh, I, I mean, just in a practical sense, if. If somebody falls into the rapids, you're, you're out canoeing. Somebody falls in the rapids, and and you're putting yourself at great risk, and and, and your your ability to rescue them is uncertain. Then, you know, you don't want to casually throw your life so away. You're right. I, that I understand. If, so now, if you don't know how to swim, then or, surely or, don't do it. If you do, and you're a great swimmer. Well, if you don't know how to swim, it's yeah, not, then, then you, 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 you can't right. really save them. But if you're, yeah, well, but, but you, if you but if you you may save, you may drown. Um, do you jump in or not? Okay, so so it's a good question. Let me just tell you that that uh, just as you're trouble with it, in, even in the in the Jewish sources, they discuss it in the sense of what it says is is don't be too strict on this law. Even though they, this law is on the books, meaning as far as don't risk your life to save someone else's, and your pie is full if you do. The question is like we're saying, there's a lot of gray area. What, how do we define this risk? And what they say is don't be too strict in defining this law because one day you may need, you know. You're going to say, well, oh, I don't want to violate the Torah law and jump in and save him and risk my life. But you may need that, uh, you may need that same situation. So the question is, you better be an unpious fool or just a fool? Well, but doesn't the commentary really go in the direction that the more you secure yourself, the first you try to secure yourself, you make sure that you're all right, and then you take the risk? I thought that, again, that was kind of worth the now, commentary. Again, we're not, you're clearly not obligated to take risk, is what we're saying here. The, this this obligation is only if there's no risk to your life. Now again, how do we define risk? That's a good question. So I, I saw one in an ethicist who wrote an article about this. He he said the way his litmus test would, is 
is if you someone would offer you a million dollars to do it, would you do it? Well, if they pay, if you're being paid to do it, would you take that risk? If you take the risk for money, then you do it to save the guy's life. You wouldn't take the risk for money. That's the litmus test that he gave, but that, that's not no source for that. But again, because it's, it's hard to define how you define risk. But well, let's move on, and it, it could be troubling. There's, uh, um, you know, many people. It's it's so different than our concept in Western love. You know, you know, like you're saying, lay down your life to save you friends and you're a hero. So so that's why you find very few Jewish secret not, service. Not everybody does very that, few, by the way. Yeah, no, but you find Dar very few. Darn few do that. But, but you but find anyway. very few Jewish secret servicemen for that reason. Besides, they're all five foot five. And <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Mm, so they're uh, on the anyway. I you know. This is why. So, um, okay, so now as far as getting back to the compensation, so this is also related to that same issue, actually, interestingly enough, meaning how much do I have to lay out? We're saying you have to lay out money to rescue. So how much, is there a limit? You know, it's meaning I have to give away everything I own. Where, how much do I have to give away in order to rescue? So if you look at number three, is normally in Jewish law, and I think we mentioned this here in the past, on any mitzvah, on any one of the commandments in the Torah, you're only obligated to give to spend a fifth of your net worth on a mitzvah, okay? On a positive commitment. So it means, let's say, you can't afford to fill in for your kids by mitzvah. If you're obligated only to spend up to a fifth of your net worth, more than that, you're exempt. Once, you, once you're spending more than a fifth of your net worth for the mitzvah, you're exempt from the, from the mitzvah, okay? So now, um, so what about here, in this case? So it says, Lord Jewish law normally requires the maximum expenditure of 20% of one's resources for the fulfillment of a positive commandment. Okay, but for negative commandment, okay, let's say don't murder. So how much do I have to lose of my net worth not to kill someone? That's everything. There's no exemption. So even if you lose everything you own, you can't still can't kill someone. Even if you're going to lose everything you own, Right. You still have no right to kill someone. Even if they deserve it? <laughs> but on the line, you know, capital offense is breaking Shabbat. Is it the same? Well, what? Isn't it breaking Shabbat a capital offense? Well, yeah, but we're not talking about Shabbat. Oh, yeah, so what do you say? So you could, right, so you have to lose stupid. everything, exactly, before breaking 100%. <laughs> wow. So, uh, well. that's a different class now. Not for today. So the point is, he says here, in this case, <laughs> yeah. okay, if necessary for the avoidance of the over-violation of a negative commandment, so this is a negative commandment here, technically, um, the, it says do not stand out of line, meaning it's, in, it's a negative commandment, don't stand out of the line while someone's blood is being shed, okay, you need to rescue. So if you do it, you're violating a negative commandment, which technically you'd have to give up all your assets for that. But, saving graces, there are some opinions who say it's still only 20% in, in this case. <laughs> okay, a fifth of your network. Can across five people. But there are some, there are some exceptions to that. For instance, the physician or the person who's called to work to save another life is exempt from the laws of Shabbat, correct? Yeah, we're not talking much about it. He brought okay. up okay. He brought are you exempt Shabbat from these here. laws too? What? If you're called to save someone's life, are you exempt from this law? If you're a doctor, or if you, from the law that you ha you know that you have oh, to kiss down the by. You can't you, you, you can't stand idly by. Yeah. So so that's, so technically speaking, a doctor has no more obligation than any other any other person. The, the law is given to everyone. It happens to be doctors have more knowledge, so they can save people in more contexts. But it's not that mm -hmm. the fact no, the physician doesn't obligate them any more than than any one of us. It's just the fact is they know a lot more, a lot more educated in saving lives. Therefore. They're going to have the ability in a lot more cases, scenarios, to save less. So you got to so, you just got to run up and pray over them <laughs> using your expertise. Yeah. I charge. I charge for that. Yeah. Here's a thief. 
So the point is, so so actually, a good point about the physician is, um, which is another important point here. Meaning, so you're going to tell him. So every time, like we're saying, a physician, since he has the ability to save lives, so he has to go around rendering aid all day for free. Is that what we're saying? And lay money. So obviously, it doesn't work. Like that point is that if there are other, if you live in a city such as Houston, or if you're in Bethesda, where there, you know, 300 Jewish doctors there, and someone falls down, so it's not your, you don't, it's not in the, your individual obligation. Since there are other people who can rescue there, so it's, you don't have that, because I don't have to walk, go try and save the world, and save every person who needs to be rescued. Like we're saying, if you see that person, but if there's another doctor there, technically he has the commandment as much as you, so you can... You just don't want to be the last doctor on the road because then you're stuck <laughs> against the hey, it's the next guy. Because otherwise, so doctors would be healing people for free all day, and obviously, we can't make them do that. So, there has to be some form of uh, equitable share of, let's say, giving out, you know, healing people for free in, in what we call rescue here. So, how do you, how do you apply that? Okay, so as far as, just as far as liability is concerned, like, like I mentioned, um, there's, so there is this law in the state of Texas. I just found this fascinating. We're, we're contrasting American law with Torah law here. This is a, an article I was reading from a professor in Virginia who is crying, you know, lambasting, like we're saying, the Western law, which really says that even even if you do save someone, you can have liability, as we'll see. So he says here, he says, and this is quote number four, says, our law says, meaning American law, that you do not have to volunteer to relieve others from dangers, not due to your own fault, as we mentioned. There's no obligation to rescue in American law. But if you do volunteer, if you engage in some activity that is followed by harm to such another, then a court may let a jury scrutinize what you did and call it actionable negligence, no matter how hard you tried. So it means you tried to save this guy's life, and, and now you messed up. You're now open for liability in a lawsuit in American law. Many people aware of this think it's much wise to do nothing at all. If you're under a duty to fees, quote, Unquote, the non-feasance can never be held in action. But if you do engage, so meaning, so I have a choice. Should I, should I rescue and then take the chance that I might get sued? Right, I'm, I'm passing by as a car accident. If I get out of my car and stop, then there's a chance I can get sued if I do something wrong. If I move the, the victim or, you know, I move them, I shouldn't have moved them or something negligible. I could be, a jury will decide now if it's an act of negligence. Okay, but if you, do, if you don't engage, you know, then you have no problem. So no, it's in American law, what comes it's very sad, is what he's saying is, it's better not to help. Don't run the raid, because if you do, many times you're opening yourself up for loss, which is a very, very sad thing. And it's a, it's a classical scene in the movie. You know, you see the, the doctor, you know, he says a doctor on board or a guy in the restaurant, you know, and the guy's behind the paper, newspaper, he's like shuffling. Someone actually told me, I gave this class last time, someone told me they were on a flight where someone uh, collapsed, and, and there was a doctor there, but he, obviously he didn't want to get involved. And, uh, and his like four-year-old daughter, doctor's daughter, Daddy, they need you. And he's like patting <laughs> himself behind the magazine. So, so in American law, that's technically he did nothing wrong. In Jewish law, obviously, what we're saying is that's that's a major violation. If you can be there to help someone, and you don't. Obviously, there's, it's a major Torah violation, as we're saying. The difference is between the two time periods: malpractice insurance. Right, so that's the problem. Most doctors, when you leave your, once you leave your office, you don't, your malpractice doesn't necessarily cover you, unless you know it's, you have to have a special rider. In other words, if you if you if you're not within the confines of your, you know, of your regular rendering care, if you work for a hospital, so you only have malpractice in your clinical setting. I'm on the street. Malpractice doesn't necessarily cover. I actually have a sister-in-law who had a baby in her car, and they pulled up to the hospital, and no doctors. 
wanted to come out because they, my brother ran in trying to get doctors to come out. This is, long, this is like 15 years ago, more, 20 years ago, and, and they couldn't get any doctors to come out because they don't have insurance outside. But they, so what, they just left him out there in the car? Finally got some... So, you drive, so what you do is you crash your car into the lobby, and then they have to take you. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I was on a plane once where the pilot or flight attendant asked for a doctor on board, and nobody responded. And then after a few minutes, the pilot got on and said that if nobody, if there's no doctor that volunteers, he's going to have to make an emergency landing. And finally, finally, an Indian nurse got up and volunteered to help, and we didn't have to land. Um, um, so I thought you said that all of a sudden you had 20 people in that flight. No, still no doctor, but it was at least did, a nurse got up. When you did your bar prep, did you hear the story about the California uh, bar exam where the guy has a heart attack during the bar exam? Oh, wow, what a story. I don't know if it's an urban legend or what, but they told us this in our bar prep, that in the middle of the California bar, which is like the second most competitive in the country, a guy keels over with all the symptoms of a heart attack, and so they say, you know, everybody's working away, and they say, somebody, you know, come help this person. Nobody comes. They, they all know they're under no duty to rescue. Yeah. So they call again, and finally, two paramedics who are taking the exam stop, and they help and they failed the bar. Uh, and it, it, it got to be a big story, and apparently in California they made some allowance for that. But what a story. <laughs> Feverishly, everybody's letting this guy die. Yeah, there's another story, and now that you said that story, remember there was, this was actually an experiment done, it was in Harvard Divinity School, believe it or not, clergy, you can't trust clergy. The, the Harvard Divinity School, they did an experiment where the, some kind of, slot where, I don't know, four people in the whole divinity school get it, and it's like a certain, you know, one day a year or something, so they had, that day, they set up um, two ends of the campus, I just remember reading about this experiment in divinity school, and they had um, someone who, they called, you know, divinity students from the other side of the campus and said, you have to be in the dean's office, you know, in six minutes for this slot, if you want to be eligible for this slot, and then they had someone fake guy fall down on the path, you know, on campus. <laughs> like, right, you know, as the guy's running across campus yeah. to the other guy. And I think only two out of something like, you know, 70 students, two, 70 divinity students, only two stopped. <laughs> one guy, one, one of them, if I remember, stopped and said, I'll call someone, just get them running. And only one person stopped, actually, to help. This is the divinity school. So, so um, sad, it's a sad world we live in. Okay, so now as far as um, what happens, this is another question, meaning as far as what happens if you, as you're rescuing someone, the victims, you save the victim, but you damage someone else on the way. You know, the classic movie scene, right? Take the guy's car out, you know, schlep, you know, you need the car to rescue, so you pull the guy out of his driver's seat. You're driving someone else's car and you, you damage the car. Whatever it is, you're running and you, you damage stuff in your, in your, on your rescue, okay, during your rescue. Um, so who pays for that? Okay, so so are you are you liable for the damage you caused in the rescue? You as the as the, the rescuer. Okay, so the Talmud says usually we have a rule in Jewish law which is that man is always forewarned. That means the kind of the concept in Hebrew the concept is Adam Muad Lolam. A person is always liable for his actions. We don't care, there's no you know, like you know, in our, in, Obviously, in Western law, you have all these excuses where you, how you grew up, who you abused as a child, and 
and all that. In Jewish law, it's irrelevant, meaning we don't look at, if you damage someone, you gotta pay. You can be sleepwalking, it, it, we don't, there's no excuse um, for, for damages in, tort, in, in Jewish tort law. Because man is always in the category of forewarned, whether he acts inadvertently, willfully, under coercion, or voluntarily, whether awake or asleep. So the question is here, where you're rescuing, so how does that work? So technically, you should be obligated to pay for your damages. The fact that you're rescuing doesn't, shouldn't exempt you from the damages. But, but uh, my man, he says there's a special exemption because of this concept that we want to make sure that you don't hold back from rescue, that you shouldn't think twice before you run to rescue someone. Therefore, we made allowances and therefore an exemptions to this rule. And that's why Maimonides is quoted here, number seven. He says, if one chases after the pursuer in order to rescue the pursuit, okay, and he breaks objects belonging to the pursuer or to anyone else, if someone's chasing someone with a gun and you're, you're going to help him, okay, or that be a case where you're risking life, take a case chasing him without a gun and you have a gun, so you're going to help chase the guy down, okay, so, and on the way, you damage stuff. So he says, um, the rule is not a matter of strict biblical law of torts, but as an enactment, that means it's a rabbinical enactment, made in order that one should not refrain from rescuing another or lose time through being too careful when chasing a pursuer. Because if he's going to have to worry about how he's driving and not to damage, you know, and, and be careful, so obviously he's going to be less, um, he's going to be, the rescue's not going to go as quickly. He's going to be thinking about how to do it and what to do. Yes. So in that way of thinking, can you murder to save someone else's life? If that guy's chasing that guy, can I kill that guy? So it's only in that, normally we, you don't kill someone to save someone else's life, but in the that's known as famous case of a rodef, which is what it is, if someone's pursuing someone else to kill him, then even in, even a third party, not only self-defense, the victim themselves, but even a third party has a right to kill the pursuer. That's a, that's a famous, known as the law of the pursuer. In Hebrew is rodef. So the Torah says very clearly you, that you have a right to kill a pursuer, okay. Even though you don't Even know the context only, of what that pursuer is. He spoke about here, and spoke about guns and guns and Moses. He spoke about that here, if you remember. But but the the point is that that meaning you have a right to do it only if there's no other way to stop. And if you can shoot him in the legs or stop him or stop him some other way, you're obligated to do it. If there's no other way to save the the victim, then you have a right to kill him. Okay. Well, what if you don't know the context? What if the victim? You don't know. Really robbed the first guy. Right. So if you don't know, then you obviously you can't take a chance. As a matter of fact, even if if you can't save, if you can't shoot him in the legs and you shoot him in the head, then it's capital murder. Okay. So you have to do, and you have to make sure that there's, you have no other way to stop him. But it's important to know. So we specifically made rules which will give, which will make sure that the rescuer shouldn't, you know, stop from rescuing. By the way, we have a similar rule even on Shabbat. You brought up violating Shabbat would be the same thing. For example, there's a, in New York, where I grew up, there's a, they have a volunteer ambulance corps, like, uh, known as Atzala, where they, it's all Jewish guys and they have radios, and it's very macho thing, you know, the Kojak cherries they throw on the car, and so they have, you know, it's a volunteer ambulance corps, because the response time in New York City is very slow, the ambulance, so they come, and they, of course, they go on Shabbat too. Now, a lot of what happens is, they don't drive, they drive, obviously, to save a life, you're allowed to drive, but then, what happens after they bring the person to the hospital, Okay, in the ambulance with their car, to, are they allowed to come back and go home? Okay, afterwards, because they're not rescuing anyone at that point. So what? So, so Moshe Feinstein rules because we want to make sure that they go on the call next time. The radio goes off the next time. They're not going to run to rescue if they're going to be stuck in the hospital for the whole Shabbat. It's Friday night, so they get called at 2 a.m. They're going to bring this guy to the hospital, and then you tell them they can't. They're stuck there for the rest of Shabbat. They can't drive home because they can't violate Shabbat. Now it's a wrap. So they're not going to, next time their beeper or radio goes off, they're not going to go as quickly. 
Therefore, they enacted a rule. They said, you're allowed to even drive back from the hospital because we want to make sure you're going to go mm-hmm. next on the next time. Okay, so it's the same concept here. Meaning we're, we're, we're concerned that we want to make sure the rescuer knows he shouldn't think twice, you know, oh, should I go? I'm going to be stuck there. I'm not going to have my child on Shabbos. You know, I'm going to be, uh, so right, I'm going to be stuck in the hospital. So therefore, they allowed him to even drive back from the rest. Well, I got a, a totally unrelated comment. Should the rabbi have a disclaimer when he gives these classes that people should not act on, on what they learn in these classes because it's not all the information there is? Listen, I always have to the audiences. Huh? Can't. Depends on the audience. We did it. We're doing a class on suing your clergy. We're doing a class on suing clergy. I think you have to be personal <laughs> his personal aid for all of his classes. First of all, he's not worried about getting sued. Okay. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Well, I don't know. Maybe he should be. <laughs> okay, so take his wife or his kids. Uh, okay, so now. His yarmulke collection. Okay, so you asked David. You asked before about suicide. So, so I actually didn't get a chance to research this at all. But I read a whole article on this topic. Remember, remember a few years ago, this kid that uh, parents said he took this balloon ride, he went up in his balloon and he was missing, you know, they were chasing him right, when he was in Arizona. Right. They had like every, you know, FBI, everyone was looking for the balloon. This kid was building his hot air balloon in his backyard. He had a Colorado or something. Remember that? And they, it was a hoax. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then they found out it was a hoax. But every agency was chasing him with trucks and helicopters and planes and the Air Force. Yeah, it cost good. millions of dollars for rescue in the state. They afterwards sued him for all the expenditure, you know, the police force, they mm-hmm. spent literally millions of dollars. I don't know what happened with that. They the parents were arrested. They, the parents they were, were arrested. Yeah, no, they, they, they prosecuted, but they... But the question is monetarily. So, so that's really, I saw a whole article about that, meaning what happens, we're saying rescue, I have to lay out money. What happens if the rescue, if the victim did it, it's their negligence that got him that situation, such as, let's say, like you're saying, suicide. Um, right. so that's that's, that's a good question because uh, you know if the if the victim creates the problem to be rescued, like those fools hiking up in Iran or something, and all of a sudden they get captured and they won't let them out, and it costs us millions and millions of dollars. What obligation do you have to rescue them? Exactly. Well, no, so well, you still do. Well, that's like saying, uh, what about a pretty girl walking through a bad neighborhood who's attacked? She shouldn't different. have been there. She should have known better. But that's blaming the victim. Here we're saying, here we're saying it is their fault. They this suicide, right? So I go, this guy's jump, ready to jump off the bridge. And I go, we're going to have to, you know, they get the Navy, whatever. Police force comes with their boat. And so there's a lot of money involved in that, helicopters. So yeah, now, that, who has to pay for that? So no, we're saying normally there's, there's a duty to rescue. Obviously, there's a duty to rescue in that case, too. But the question is, what about monetarily? Do we, do we say now, do we have to lay out money for that? Do we have to, who pays for that? Depends if they're Jewish or not. No, because the rescue is Jewish, and they have to... Pay, they have to pay the cost to rescue. Yeah, but you could seek reimbursement. No, yeah, but by, right. by definition, if you rescue a suicider, you're not rescuing him because you're keeping him from doing what is intended. So you're, it's a counter rescue. So he, because <laughs> he was, he was really, you're, you're stopping the intention. The intention was he wanted exactly. to die. So you don't, exactly. you're not saving right. him. If you can make the call, sense. if you can't make the call, who you should save? In theory, you can't make the call. Well, it's different. It's, yeah, it's someone under duress versus someone who's intentionally trying to. Here it says about intent. There's nothing about it. And in, terms of the, in terms of the example you brought up with the function of government, that really is all very clearly defined, like within the State Department guidelines. You're an American citizen. You have certain rights. You get into trouble in a foreign country, and your government acts for you. 
and you never reach those questions. They're never, it's subsumed within the concept of, of the functions of government. Our government doesn't abandon us when we go over. Yeah, but again, unless you're, you're, unless you're a government official in Libya and they decide to. It doesn't to. even do it there. <laughs> We're that's dealing drugs. We were bringing drugs. No, that's back. a crime. But that's not. That's not the same thing. Okay. So what we about the case the of this? Not a foreign government. Well, not not overseas, but here, like we're saying, this guy, this kid in the blue. Right. So that was a hoax. That's, that was a And hoax. millions of dollars were spent. Yeah, to, they to have liability. But let's say it's a kid that literally gets popped up in the balloon and they float over. Then you get into the functions of government, and it's not the function of law enforcement to pass on the cost to the citizens for the functions of law enforcement, where you take advantage of law enforcement and you create a charade or an artifice, you get into a whole other different deal. But, you know, when when I get captured, I go on a reasonable trip to wherever, and I yeah, get captured different. in the State Department to send right. food, because I'm an American citizen, right, that's they stand up for me. That's a function of government. Reasonable, reasonable, yes. That's reasonable. And, you know, does your tax bill go up? Sure, it affects our taxes, just like everything Do else does. But, but I, I, I go to that word reasonable. Reasonable, reasonable go hiking in the mountains of Iran. <laughs> okay. Well, or, or for that matter, to go skiing in, in, in avalanche-prone areas and have an avalanche and, you know, and cost the taxpayers tons of money. The problem with that, the thrill taker. The, pro the problem go. with that is, is that the government doesn't make those. They find it hard to make those decisions. The balloon, the balloon boy situation was was an act of fraud. Yeah. By the parents. Right. Uh, uh, another thing that comes to mind, though, is is this, the idea of criminal negligence or serious gross negligence, whatever you want, on the part of the parents. Which, that's not a case of that. It, that's a case of active fraud. But uh, the, the child that, get, that gets dropped down the well. Uh, you, you all know that story. Yeah, right? sure. It was a huge story. And uh, huge. and by all accounts, the child couldn't have fallen into the well. They, what they think happened is one of the older children took the child and, hey, let's see if it fits and it fit and it fell down the well. And the parents were nowhere around or, you know, it, they didn't. They weren't watching. They weren't minding the store, and, and in a case of, of that, whether that rises to gross negligence or not, I can't say. But a situation where a parent is grossly negligent and then causes untold, you know, thousands of dollars of, of time and energy to save that child, is is that a situation where you could come after the parents, assuming they had had assets, for some responsibility in that? from causing all that expense to the rest of us. And, exactly, and I can tell you exactly what will happen is, unless they go to a really bad lawyer, they're going to raise a claim under the homeowner's policy, which isn't going to have an exclusion for ordinary negligence or even gross negligence. You'd have to show an intent. So if the parent drops the kid down intentionally, they're going to get out no, of the yeah, box. But, but for that, okay. the homeowner's so the Jewish law, well, there's, there's a fine line between negligence and stupidity. And I guess, you know, that's... Much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, dropping the kid in the well was it? You know, letting Michael Jack was Michael Jackson holding the kid out. Is it negligence or is it stupidity? You know, it's yeah. So, so just as far as Jewish law, I wrote here, there actually seems to be disputing cases of negligence where they created the situation. If I would, if who has to pay for that? Okay, and so I didn't do, I couldn't find enough on it to to give a clear answer as to what. But it seems like there's different opinions in a case of negligence. So just to finish off here, to sum it up, as far as compensation is concerned, um, so we're saying, 
you're obligated to lay out the money, but if the, if the victim does have the funds to pay it back, they're obligated to pay it back. Now, there's another thing which I found is, is even at your time, technically, you can charge for Okay, so it means if you were late to your meeting you, to, because you stopped to render aid, so it says you, need to, you can charge minimum wage for loss of income, um, for your loss of income, even for your time during the act of rescue. And then the other thing it says is expenditures made by the rescue will be recoverable in full, in full as we mentioned. Um, now, now, so you mentioned this before. It's only the only time you can recover the costs, your expenditures, is only if you were successful in your rescue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you res, if you, mm. if you went ahead and and rescued, but you weren't successful, then you can't charge the guy <laughs> for expenditure. You, so you advance like, money on somebody's behalf to try to help save their life, and they die. When you think that you should be right, reimbursed so, so by whatever that, that, the guy had money? Well, it's against the other thing you've been talking about so far that they were encouraged. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you want to so they talk about their so advance the money. So well, you want to advance, have the guy advance the money if it could save his life? Oh, but you may not get. There's a. If you may not make it, you don't get your money back. So it's a good point. I wrote it. I wrote it here. It says. Um, it's logical. There's a. Oh, we all agree that, Does everyone agree that the balloon guy was that fraud? They should have asked for the money back. So I'll tell you. Bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so just to address your point, it's a valid point, meaning we, everything else we've been saying tonight, you want to give an incentive. So there is, and it's important to understand, this part of, we're saying it is a mitzvah, meaning technically speaking, when you normally when you perform a mitzvah, you can't charge. And that's why as a rabbi, I can't really charge you for this lunch. Here, Don't charge you for the CLE. This is not here, a mitzvah. Here, here you're not this just, is an obligation. Here, no, no. Here, here, <laughs> CLE. here you're not just giving your time, though. You're asking monetarily that yeah. you're advancing money in addition. Not only are you spending your time in helping try to rescue this person or taking your action, you're now also advancing money on their behalf. Right, but the point of what I'm saying is you have to realize there is, a, there is some sense of it has to be done because it's an obligation to save the person. An obligation of rescue as opposed to, you know, I'm just doing it because I want to get paid. Well, the obligation of rescue is that, no, no, no. I'm saying to get paid, not for my time. If I come out of pocket. Expenditures. Right, if I come out of pocket, forget, forget, I'm not asking for my time. Given the time, that's the charitable act. Now, in addition to my charitable act, I'm going to advance money. Right. If I pay the you're money, you're going to pay the, the ambulance. Right. right. An ambulance right. comes up and they want 350. And then the guy ends up dying. That's different. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say, in my mind, there's a distinction between the charitable act. You're doing your action, right. taking right. your time, not asking for compensation for that potentially. You're coming out of pocket. Right, so we're saying usually yes, but if the guy, if it was unsuccessful, then you can't charge. Is what we're saying. That's what we're saying. Meaning, if you, if your rescue was unsuccessful, you tried. <laughs> Meaning, if it was, then you can't charge. When you go to the estate, say, "Hey guys, I'm the guy who paid the money." Yeah. So no, so that's the, the next thing, by the way. Here's the guy. That's the last. Right. The last point is what you're saying. Only the rescued party himself. You, um, can you recover? I'm not seeking the money from the rescue. I'm saying if the guy had money in his estate. That's, I said it would seem reasonable. The state's different than his family. Right, right. It would seem to me that you go to this guy has money. The state means as well. I think. Oh, only I help guys who are likely to survive. <laughs> Otherwise, you're out. This is the end of the You can ask the guy a question. Are you a wealthy guy? How much money you got? Got your credit card swipe. Aren't the last two the same thing, basically, C and D? If it wasn't successful, then all you've got left is the family. No, but I'm saying, let's say, let's say the guy is still alive. He's just you didn't. But he had no money. But you know, he had a heart attack. You didn't. You know, he's just he's so in the hospital now. He's just choking. It was successful, but he has no money. But his his family members do. You can't go to his brother and say like I. No, but he's saying. I hear your point. I think what we. Well, the answer is, I mean, let's say you jump in to save him, but you didn't save him. down the river. Someone else. Every saved time someone. Can I charge him for my for my expenditures? Oh. 
my clothes, my dry cleaning, whatever it is. So we're saying that if you mm -hmm. didn't do the job, you can't charge them. Or what if that's, that's participatory why. saving? You get him to the hospital, but the hospital saves him. Can no, you charge him for your part? On one hand, you can save it in bad taste. This person, well, you, you try to rescue this person, they die, and you should come to their funeral, you come to the family during Shiva and say, listen, you owe me, you know, you owe me $2,000 because I tried, but sorry it didn't work out, but right. maybe they felt that was a little bit too, too raw of a nerve. It's like, uh, you know, they say when the oncologist has a bad day, that means he lost, you know, well, I guess you're punished because it didn't work out well. Well, I don't know if anyone that does it in the form of earning money. You're going to save someone. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, you know, not, 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 unless you're, not unless you're a fireman or something, it's your profession. Anyway, it's it's but interesting because even as far as the mitzvah is concerned, meaning, yeah. you know, they say every, for a doctor, every time you heal someone, you see you fulfill the mitzvah because you have the mitzvah. So some say it's only if you, the mitzvah is only if you healed him. Because if you treated him but you didn't get healed, so you didn't fulfill the mitzvah. It's a similar concept. Unless you wait for fees. Would you help me out with mitzvah? I've heard this term. Mitzvah means commandment. It's just the word for so commandment. So it's, 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 not, it's not a good deed. Really. It's a commandment. Any of the commandments of the Torah, any commandment is called in Hebrew, the term is mitzvah. Or good deed. Use the word good deed. No, it's not a good deed. It's an obligation. Any obligatory commandment of the Torah is called People mitzvah. People tell you it's a mitzvah, like it's a good deed, but it's, it's really not. It's really it's a commandment. It's an obligation. Right, it's, it's obligatory, not just a good deed. It's not just so a mitzvah. So this is a mitzvah. So like, this right, is an obligation. Duty to rescue, we're saying, is, an, is a mitzvah. It's an obligation. Yeah, that's why the it's not just a good deed. It's just so a nice it's, thing. It's, strong, it's stronger than doing something nice. Right, it's, exactly. It's, it's, meaning it's obligatory. If you didn't do it, you violated, we say you literally violated this law. But also, but also I can tell you that most good deeds or most good things happen to be mitzvahs. Not all mitzvahs yeah. are good deeds, but those good sure. deeds are mitzvahs. Yes. Is there something that's less of an obligation? Yeah, sometimes it's, a, it's just it's a nice a, thing to do. Yeah, sometimes what would you call above that? and beyond the law. I mean, it's not, you're not obligated. What, what would you, is there a term for that? I think kindness. Yeah, it's an, it's an act of kindness. So an act of kindness means it's not obligatory. I don't think it can be a subset because if you're obligated to do it, you can't have an element of, of kindness. No, I would be a good thing also, but you can't, that, that can't be going on your obligation. Your obligation Thank you.